Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined, as always, by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he put an aura onto his equipment, so his modification is modified. It's Matt Morgan. So, Joey, this past weekend, I watched a documentary about how planes are held together, and I gotta say, it was pretty riveting. <laughs> With yep. Okay, I... I'm glad I was able to stay together for it, that joke, I guess. Oh, you fascinating little little watch there. <laughs> mm. I, I'm sorry. I, I I'm sorry. What... I'm sorry. The joke wasn't very exciting. It was kind of plain. Okay. It went over my head. <laughs> <laughs> flew flew you, right over it. You guys are absolutely too much. Up next, he exiled five vehicles to assemble that new Mech Titan Core Voltron card, but one of those vehicles was his actual real-life car, so he's having a hard time getting anywhere at the moment. It's Dana Roach. I'm, I'm really hoping one of the new mob factions in New Capenna gets mutate as a keyword uh, just so they can make me an offer I don't understand. <laughs> There it is. Wow. Wonderful. That, that, thank you. Dana, that might be like your magnum opus of the <laughs> jokes in the intro. Yeah. That, oh, beautiful. He, he really gobbled all of our ghouls in that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was terrific. Anyway, this is the EDH Rec cast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the EDH Rec cast, what we like to do is give all of that data a little more context. Matt, do you mind telling us what is it that we're going to be talking about in this week's episode? So this week, we're going to revisit a topic that we haven't talked about in a couple years now. Uh, we're going to talk about the commanders with a whole bunch of variants, but also low variance commanders and how they look compared to last time we've discussed this. Yeah, this is, you're right, a topic that we haven't gone over for like, what is it, two years? It was before we like made the official move into the snazzy video podcast that we've got going on now. And yeah, we do want to talk about the variance between commanders, which is sort of to say like how often for one commander will the deck kind of look the same from player to player or will the deck look completely different from player to player and sort of seeing what EDHREX data can tell us about that should be pretty interesting and a whole bunch of fun. And real quick, before we get into our main show, let's thank Chase, aka Mana Curves, for assisting us with the post-production work on the podcast, making it look as spiffy as possible. And of course, we want to thank our sponsors for the show as well. Uh, yeah, the Idiot Trek cast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. They're like having a ramp and card draw right there in the command zone. <laughs> Just go to Idiot Trek and click on the card in question, go to the vendor link down below and choose the card. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you'd prefer to support the show directly while also getting yourself some amazing little bonus items back, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDHRECCAST, where we have patron tiers of all levels, whether you want to join the Discord community that we have, you want to see all the historic challenges stats picks that we've done, or you want that special little shout-out that we do every single week, you can do that all and more at patreon.com slash EDHRECCAST. And since I did mention that special shout-out tier, uh, we're just going to do that right here and now. So Wes Allen... Thank you so much for all of your support. Um, I, I hope that whoever put those planes together used that Allen wrench. Uh, so thank oh. you for giving all those people such great tools. Matthew, Sarah, Jessica, Parker, Morgan. That, how how that, do you constantly? That's not even close to my real middle name. So I'm going to say we move into the real topic. Uh, let's. Y'all never cease to tickle me with your shout outs, with your sponsorship. Like, I just... I, it's it's a thing of beauty. Um, I 
I don't know. Y'all For, try your best. Forced puns <laughs> and low-hanging wordplay is what we've come to expect from me, at least on this show. Um, so exactly. thankfully, <laughs> you and Dana are here to actually provide like helpful information. <laughs> It's great. Okay, but you're right. You're right. Let's get into our main topic. We are talking about high and low variance commanders. So again, these commanders that from one player to the next, they might have a lot of overlap. A lot of the cards that will appear in one player's deck may appear in another player's deck or high variance commanders where that is a lot less likely to be the case. A commander deck will look very, very different compared to another player's, even if a lot of people have built that deck. And we want to see if there are any commonalities that we can discover. And let's start off with the low variance commander. These are basically going to be the commanders that have a lot in common with one another from deck to deck to deck. And I don't know, I guess right off of the bat, like Dana, since you are sort of our resident hipster deck builder, if that's a fair thing to say at this point, I think it is. Um, it, it strikes me that this type of the low variance thing might be kind of one of those things that doesn't necessarily interest you as a, a, a way to go. So I, I guess... Um, I don't know. Tell me what you think in general about like when it comes to variance within commanders. Is that a style that you think is comforting? Is that a style that you don't like? Take it away, my guy. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely look to build commanders. Um, number one, that aren't probably heavily played, but number two, in a way that probably doesn't hopefully reflect the average deck as it's being built on EDH Rack. Um, and we probably should put a disclaimer out here right now since we're talking about this. Um there isn't really a value judgment we want to place here on decks that look like another deck. I mean, if you're someone who likes brewing unique builds, yes, you're probably more handsome than the average EDH deck brewer. Um, <laughs> I think we can, you know, we can say that that clearly. But <laughs> I, Dana, I think the only person that's ever called you handsome is your mom. My, my mom, definitely. My oh, mom is, all the time she tells me that, and I, I love. It's really built me up over the years. Um, no, we we don't like. There isn't a judgment here. Just because I enjoy building decks that way doesn't mean someone who doesn't enjoy that or likes to like build a deck that looks very similar to someone else's. Um, there's absolutely nothing negative about that at all here. Yeah, that, that, that's a very good way to, I, I think that like, especially if you end up looking at some of my decks, I think they will probably look a lot like some of the decks that you'll see. Um, they'll conform a bit more to the average EDH rec data compared to one of yours. I think, you know, if I were to build a Marin of Clan Neltoth deck, for example, I'll probably end up being really attracted to a whole bunch of the main staples that you'll see on a Marin's page. But you strike me as the type of guy to be like, well, can I make a Marin rat colony deck or a Marin food token deck or, or stuff like that? That does strike me as a, a kind of thing where I think you and I have different uh, draws or whatever. And again, those are both cool. Those are both totally cool things. And it's going to be interesting to see which commanders do that sort of thing. They lend themselves more within the direct data to one style versus another. But Matt, that leads me to ask, what about you? Are you um, more comforted by playing a lot of those cool, attractive staples that we know are really good for a commander? Or do you prefer to try and find off the beaten path more often? What's your variance story looking like? So I, I feel between Dana with his old borders only because he's only playing cards from alliances.deck. <laughs> and then and then we have you, Joey, who you play a lot of staples. You, you might play decks that are probably more in line with what you would see on the typical EDH rec page. I'm right in that middle. I play a lot of cards that I maybe know aren't an optimal pick. But they're just cards that I enjoy, like the the Marie Kondo of of deck building, as it were. If if <laughs> yeah. it brings me joy, I put it in there. If it doesn't bring me joy, like sorry, I I just I don't feel good playing Smothering Tide than every single white deck. Sure, that's not what I'm trying to do. Uh, so yeah, I I think there's there's a healthy middle ground 
whatever it is that, that you're doing, especially with this game. But as we're going to find out with some of these commanders that we're going to talk about, sometimes you don't really have a choice with a lot of the, the flex spots in the deck because the commander kind of leads you in a very specific direction, which is where a lot of these high, or I should say low variance commanders come from because the commander holds your hand in a way that it does a little bit of the deck building for you. So your flex spots are already filled because you're so devoted to a certain theme. Right. And and you know what? Let's actually use that before we get into our new and updated data as we ran this report again here in the year 2022. Let's actually look back to the last time that we had visited this topic, which I think was like episode 99 or 98 or something like that. It was a while ago. Um, I think a lot of the commanders that we saw within the low variance top 10 kind of fit into exactly the, the description that you're saying there. Like, I think the commander with the lowest amount of variance at all was Kadena Slinking Sorcerer, the Sultai Morph deck. And the you know reason that that would be a low variance commander is pretty obvious. There are only so many Sultai morph related cards, and even of the of that pool of cards, there are only so many good Sultai morphs. Or here's another one. The number two was Thelen of Havenwood, which. I didn't even remember what that card was until I looked it up for exactly this episode, which is like a Golgari germ and fungus token kind of deck as well. Like, you're right. That is the kind of deck that like trying to build it efficiently so that it can hang with everyone else on the table. It is kind of the deck that will have such a nice strategy that it does feel a little bit like it's holding your hand. But also that's totally perfectly OK, because you do want it to be able to hang with everyone in the rest of the pod. And then we get into, um, you know, some more commanders that kind of care about a specific tribe. You have things like Ayula, Queen Among Bears, and Depala, Pilot Exemplar. A commander that cares about bears in the case of Ayula, and a commander that cares about vehicles and dwarves in the case of Depala. There's also not that many vehicles in the game. There's not that many dwarves. There's not that many really good bears. So not only are those <laughs> relatively narrow build paths, they're narrowed even further by the amount of cards that are really considered, you know, quality EDH cards among those specific tribes. Yeah, and I I have to expect that we're probably going to see those decks, maybe not towards the top because we have gotten some new commanders, approximately 742,812 <laughs> new legendaries in the past two years. Uh, I believe that's approximate. Don't quote me. Yeah, conservative estimate there. <laughs> conservative estimate, yeah. But, but we have gotten a whole bunch of of new legendary creatures and some like one thing that I have noticed about a lot of the the legendary creature design is they're not doing Golos or Moldrotha type of legendaries anymore. Mm. They're not doing these broad sweeping legends that are just good at any given thing. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the second half of the show. But they have started giving us some more specific to a theme type of legendary creatures in the past couple years, which I'm a big fan of this trend. So we might see some fairly new legendary creatures in the updated list that we're going to talk about. Yeah, yeah, that that is certainly true. They have, it does feel as though like as they are making even more and more and more of these legendary creatures that their abilities are becoming a bit more niche. And it, it, I, I like what you say there about being a fan of that trend because for me, I'm still deciding whether I'm a fan of that specific trend because there are some ways in which if a commander only does one thing, I do sometimes worry that maybe I'll grow more tired of it more quickly or something like that. But at the same time, you're right. I don't want more Goloses either. So it's a very interesting push and pull. Um, so Matt, I like your attitude and I think I'm going to make sure that I find my way into adopting it too because I think that that's a very healthy mindset. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you, Joey, that like it's six to one, half dozen on the other. Um, <laughs> ha having those little bit narrower commanders 
um, keeps you from getting kind of a generic uh, good stuff build, which is something I prefer to see. I like to see a deck that's doing a, a specific thing. On the other hand, you get things like like Kadena, where there's just no other way to build Kadena, basically, right? So you get if the commanders get too narrow, <laughs> then you can't do anything with them that isn't already being done by everyone else around you. So it's it's a very difficult line to walk, I think, from a design perspective, for sure. Yeah, that's and hey, that's the push and pull of game design. So yeah, you know what? We've put it off for too long at this point. We talked about what the old top. Uh, commanders of the low variants were, you know, we had the Kadenas, we had the Thelans, we had the Dapala, but let's get to the new, let's look at the top 10. And I think uh, for the folks viewing on our YouTube, you'll have a chart that you'll be able to see here. The top commander, which is to say the commander with the lowest amount of variants, turns out to be Gavi Nestwarden, the Jeskai cycling commander. And according to the data, we see a 61.8% overlap in the 99s when it comes to various Gavi decks. So you can kind of sort of say that that's roughly about 62 cards in a Gavi deck will be basically the same from player to player to player. That is a dramatic overstatement of the data, but roughly that is vaguely sort of the impression we're giving here. But yeah, Gavi Nestwarden is our number one commander. And hey, number two, She's right back at it again. <laughs> Kadena Slinking Sorcerer showing up with a 60.8 overlap in the 99. So Sultai Morph is still saying right there in the low variance top of that list. And both of these commanders still, they're very tied to a very specific mechanic. So your card pool is naturally fairly limited because you want to be putting in as many of these cards that are on theme. Otherwise, why wouldn't you be playing some other commander if you're not trying to do mm -hmm. specifically a Jeskai cycling type of deck or a Sultai Morph type of deck? You have other options now. There's so many different legendaries that if you're playing these commanders, you're doing you're you're playing it intentionally because you wanted to be doing this specific thing. And the best cards just happen to be the best cards, and people line up with those. I also think it's worth pointing out not only are these the commanders with the least amount of variants, they're both three color commanders, which means they have a larger card pool than something that was two colors. So there's a lot more room for variants that they managed to not find. Mm. Um, so actually those, those numbers are even more striking than they would be if those were just two colored decks. That's a very keen observation. And Dana, it actually kind of leads us into the number three slot on this list, which is actually us kind of cheating a little bit. So officially on the list, we've put Kozilek the Great Distortion, which is the colorless commander. But honestly, that slot right there is a stand-in for basically all colorless decks because they were also very, very dominant in the data for low variance. Because the card pool is so small. Of course, they're not going to have a lot of variants. They can only play like colorless sorceries and artifacts and mana rocks and a lot of Eldrazi maybe. And in, in the case of, you know, something like Kozilek, you are going to get a whole bunch of Eldrazi stuff. But generally, that spot on the list is actually a stand-in for nearly every colorless commander. We just didn't want to spend the rest of this top 10 talking about exclusively colorless commanders. But yeah, Dana, you point out a really interesting thing there about the number of colors and therefore the amount of the card pool that you have access to. And in the case of those two, they are three colors, but the actual number of cycling or the number of morph cards that they have is a very, very limiting uh, factor despite those colors. So that's pretty interesting stuff. Well, and the next two are actually, I think, kind of line up with the same type of asterisk, I guess, that you would put next to the data. Not asterisk, but the same reason that they're so high on the list. Uh, so next up, we have Strephon, Moore, Progenitor, and then Katori, Pilot, Prodigy, that are having about 54, 55% overlap between all of the decks. And that's going to be a Vampire Tribal deck in Rakdos colors, and then a Blue-White Azorius Vehicles deck. And I think the big reason that these decks are coming in with such a high overlap is because they're fairly new 
new commanders for one, but they came from pre-con decks, those pre-constructed commander decks that you can just get and they're all ready to go. I think a lot of folks are seeing these lists and they're keeping a good chunk of the original cards that come in the pre-constructed deck when they put these lists online and, and start to, to brew with them. That's something that we've seen a lot. And we, our very first episode of the podcast talks about the pre-con effect of cards that are all there come with this commander out of the box typically stay in the deck longer than they, maybe they should. Yeah. <laughs> that and, and not only the, the, here's what really gets my goat about that is that that isn't just true for those ones that you mentioned there. The next two on the list are Osgir the Reconstructor and Prosper Tomebound. And this this one really did actually like completely rewire my brain. Like I had a genuine like, wait, no, what? That, that didn't make sense to me to see Osgear and Prosper on there with about 54% overlap in their 99s. But yeah, Lorehold Artifacts Guy and the Rakdos Treasure and Exile decks, those are showing a high degree of similarity from deck to deck to deck across all of the deck data. And I was, I just, especially for Osgear, I'm like, he's so versatile. He can do anything. Artifacts is such a big, enormous category. How can so many of the decks look similar? But Matt, I think you've got it right on the money there that having cards that were originally in the pre-con, you know, they're not bad enough to kick out when you're making minor tweaks. So you kind of keep in there a little bit longer. And I think that that is also the case for Prosper. I think that these are very versatile commanders who haven't yet had, uh, despite their enormous popularity, they haven't yet found as much versatility out there as they, I think they really have the potential to access. Yeah, I mean, like all, all told, seven of our top ten um, least versatile or least variant commanders do come with precon decks. Oh. So the the precon effect definitely, I, I would say, impacts these at least somewhat. Um, particularly when you're looking at some of these things, like uh, Prosper is one that jumps out at me. Um, you know, yes, Prosper's maybe encouraging treasures and exiles, but it, not that narrowly. <laughs> um, I think that there's a lot you could do with a Prosper deck, and the fact that that many people are, are are still running, you know, half the cards as the Prosper deck next to them makes me feel like there's a lot more pre-con effect going on here, maybe especially in that deck. Well, and for Osgear specifically, Osgear became the most popular Boros commander over the past two years. That isn't a partner, I should say, um, very, very quickly. Osgear got a lot of decks, and what we normally see with, with pre-con-specific decks is they the, the more decks that are built, they kind of stray away from the pre-con type of list. Osgear is a commander that I felt got optimized pretty quickly. People started putting in some of the most powerful cards they could, mm. and those decks kind of found the path of least resistance very quickly because there were so many people so excited finally for this Boros legendary creature that didn't just do combat. I think that's why so many folks got excited about Osgear, and there's so many decks to Osgear's name because there's something cool you can be doing. And so people quickly actually kind of leaned into that. This is the, the best thing that we could be doing. Because if you look at the typical deck, there's a lot of just very, very powerful things that are going on there. You have the Hellkite Tyrants, which yes, did come in the pre-constructed deck. But I also think people probably would put Hellkite Tyrant in the deck, even if it didn't come there, because <laughs> it's just so powerful with what you're already doing with the deck. That, that makes a lot of sense. And actually, now thinking also a bit further about Prosper, I think that's also a deck that, like, there's so much value in card draw and giving you treasures and stuff like that. But, like, what are the deck's win conditions? And I think that actually might be one of the culprits behind Prosper decks is that a lot of the win conditions, I expect, will feel the same from deck to deck to deck. You're Like, you want to turn your treasures into something lethal. So you'll have a lot of players who are going to run those Disciple of the Vaults or those Marionette Masters to make your opponents lose a bunch of life when you sacrifice that mountain 
mountain of treasures that your commander has been supplying you over the course of the entire game. So it's also kind of a matter of maybe not just the precon, but also like how you're going to turn all of that value into something lethal is something that some of these commanders maybe actually will want to you know focus a, a bit more on, and and that means finding some of those best options, which are I mean they're going to be some of the best options, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, and on the topic, kind of the path of least resistance, or folks finding the most optimized version of that commander, and kind of all everybody agreeing on it. The next one that we see is going to be Miss Angie Falconrath. Uh, I believe hey. I, I believe I put the emphasis on the the right one there, Joey. Miss um, Angie, yeah, Miss a- Angie. That yes. you're getting there. I I'm trying so hard, uh, but Angie Falconrath. Uh, that deck very, very quickly became a very high-powered deck with the, the World Gorger combo where you're able to exile everything and put everything back into play. And you, it, There's a lot of combos going on in that deck. Um, it's very hard to keep up with. But uh, that, all, that also had its own pre-constructed deck, but then people just doubled down and turned it into this very, very well-known combo deck where, yeah, we're seeing a lot of overlap. 54% of the cards in the Angie Falconrath decks are all being the, the same type of card. So there's not a whole lot of room for expression when folks kind of seem to have dialed in on what's the best thing we can be doing with this because the commander lends itself so easily to being this very high power combo deck. This is a really funny one for me because uh, when looking over Anya Falconrath's deck data, I noticed that World Gorger Dragon, the super famous combo engine that you use in a uh, very optimized Anya Falconrath deck, it actually is currently showing up in 48% of Anya decks. So it's not in like all of them. It's not even in the majority of them. But regardless of whether you are using that combo, if you're not using it, you might be focusing the entire deck more around cards like Glinthorn Buccaneer, for example, where you are you know paying off dealing damage by discarding cards. Regardless of whether you're going with a payoff for discard effect uh, type of deck or you're going dig straight to that combo you're using the same base amount of cards anything that says madness on it is fair game and so both of those styles of decks are kind of like almost competing with each other in anya's deck data like a deck that contains world gorger dragon doesn't need that glinthorn buccaneer and a deck that is playing the glinthorn buccaneer might not be going for the combo version but regardless they have so much overlap with just the number of madness cards you just want to use them to use Anya's ability to dig through your deck as fast as possible so like this is i think still technically kind of a divided deck but not enough to make it not a significant amount of overlap between whichever of those strategies you're going for. Well, and up next here, uh, we have two kind of interesting um, commanders that have a little bit of overlap, DePaula, Pilot Exemplar, and Gishath, Sun's Avatar. Um, both are tribal decks, uh, DePaula, Vehicle, Slash Dwarf Tribal, and Gishath, Dinosaur Tribal. Um, but what's interesting there is uh, Watsi really hadn't printed dinosaurs in, until the set with Gishath in it, Ixalan. Mm. Then they went back through and and retroactively made some creatures into dinosaurs. But from that point moving forward is when we got actual dinosaurs and magic for the most part. So there's a pretty limited creature pool there when you want to build a dinosaur tribal deck, similar to Depala. Um, that was a set where we both got vehicles and where we had first gotten dwarves for the first time in a long time. They were their creature type magic really wasn't printing for a lot of years. Again, similar thing. Um, it's a it's a tribal deck where the tribes that the deck cares about really didn't start showing up until that point forward. Yeah, you're kind of seeing the same thing here as we see with Kadena Slinking Sorcerer. There's only a finite amount yeah. of whatever tribe you're trying to support. So you're kind of defaulted into, well, 
we only have this many options and we have four different like flavor type of slots that we can put in there. So yeah, when the pool is this shallow, you're just forced into having a fairly similar deck to the next Dapala deck. Yeah, for sure. And and that was our top 10 right there, ending with the uh, Gishath pick. But, but I mean, among those top 10, we certainly notice a lot of those different commonalities. In some cases, it has a lot to do with the access of a card pool. Like we saw a bunch of those colorless decks would dominate this list if we counted more than just the one of them. Or it is niche strategies such as cycling or morph or madness. There's also, I think, definitely we see the influence of tribal strategies. Three of the top 10 are tribal commanders, potentially even four if you want to count Eldrazi tribal. So these are all different uh, elements that can come together to make it seem as though uh, there's it, it shrinks the card pool despite the number of colors that you actually have access to. And that is going to be one of the biggest influencers, one of the biggest factors that plays into whether a commander has a high degree of variance or a low degree of variance. One, one thing that I think is kind of fascinating actually is one, it was almost kind of a meme for a couple years there was about the Gitrog monster, how the first time that EDHREC had really dug into this type of report, we saw that Gitrog monster was far and away the most ubiquitous commander. Like every Gitrog monster had maybe four or five cards different, and it was the most samey type of deck hmm. uh, that we'd ever seen. And now when we're looking at all these reports, Gitrog is nowhere to be seen. It's kind of... It's kind of crazy, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, that landfall decks specifically have gotten so many tools. Every time we go to Zendikar, we get a whole new deck almost, it seems like. <laughs> and then landfall decks just in general have a, a tendency to churn through, and there's always going to be some sort of support, even if it's not a direct landfall-specific keyword. So seeing Gitrog Monster, what once was this meme-level ubiquity now has just fallen off the face of the planet because you have just so many options when it comes to lands type of decks. No, yeah, that's, that is very interesting because you're right. This was like, I don't know, four or five. This was ages and ages ago when we were first running stuff like that. But mm -hmm. that is definitely a very, dare I say, seismic shift in terms of like how strategies have become more diverse just with more and more and more exposure. I, it, heck, recently in an episode, we each used like as examples of versatility in our decks, we each used landfall examples to show how even though we each have a landfall deck, the strategies and the cards that we play in them are in fact extremely different so matt yeah you're you're totally right and it is interesting to see that get is so much more middle of the road when it comes to variants it can be very uh streamlined if you want it to be but it also you know there's a, a lot of versatility amongst the 99s of get decks out there today that's yeah very interesting thing and i would love to see if some of these other things that we saw on the top 10 or other niche strategies if those also begin to explore uh as we get more and more exposure to them maybe more cycling stuff would lead to more versatility for gavi nest warden for example that would be very very interesting to see if we have another some of those shifts looking at observations or expectations we had i mentioned the the dinosaur and dwarf tribal and how there's not a lot of those um that kind of makes sense, though, when you think about it. You know, there there aren't any elf tribal commanders really on this list. We didn't talk about any of the zombie tribal commanders, mm. despite those being very popular tribes. Um, my guess for the reason there is, if you go and look, there's only 119 dinosaurs legal in commander. There's 97 legal dwarves compared to elves, or there's 477 legal elves and uh. <laughs> 526 legal zombies. Oh, man. Um, so while, you know, when you start talking about tribal decks, you immediately probably mentally jump to the very popular tribes. 
Uh, if you really think about it, it kind of makes sense that those tribal decks aren't showing up because there's just so many good choices for the zombies in your deck or the elves in your deck when compared to dinosaurs and when compared to dwarves. Yeah, that's that's very true. In fact, I think when we think uh, back to the the previous top ten that we done, like pulling the report like two years ago, I want to say that Azuri Renegade Leader, the mono green elf tribal deck, had actually been one of I think it was like number six or number seven in the top ten commanders with the least amount of variants. But you're right. Nowadays, that tribe is actually flourishing a lot more compared to some of the other stuff that we've gotten. That is a bit more niche. So yeah, that's another example of some of those things that do shift a lot over time. Um, there is one other thing that we all also, we'd be remiss not to mention it here too. I guess technically we have kind of buried the lead here because there is a lot like the colorless Eldrazi. There is another factor here that would have dominated the list if we had spent, you know, all of the top 10 slots on it. But we do want to kind of put it in here as an honorable grouping of another type of thing that is also very, very low variance. And that is basically to say that known competitive, known CEDH decks are also very, very present when it comes to the low variance data. You know, when we look amongst the commanders that have the most overlap between their 99s, we see things like Kralm and Timna, or Thrasios and Timna, or Thrasios and Tevishzad, or Godo Bandit Warlord, and just a whole bunch more of those commanders that have a lot of stake in CEDH, having the most overlap in their deck data, sometimes up to like 66 of the same cards from deck to deck across the same commanders, and that's sort of the high end of the spectrum that we're seeing there uh, in this episode, like 66 of the same cards at 66% overlap, and you know, that's pretty noteworthy. I would love to see what other CEDH luminaries have to say about that statistic and that what we're seeing there on the top end of the format there. So yeah, it's all extremely interesting stuff, but that was just the stuff on the low variance end. We still have the high variance commanders to talk about, and we'll do that in the latter part of the show. But for now, we've been talking about a whole lot of data. So how about for a change, we talk about a whole lot of data. Let's move to challenge the stats. It's one of our favorite segments here on the show because there's so much data on EDA Trek, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think that cards see too much or too little play, so we love to challenge those statistics. Dana, do you mind starting us off? this week with your challenge. I certainly can. The only thing I like more than paying life to draw cards is not running basic lands. <laughs> it's true. And so <laughs> so my challenge of stats today is for a uh, not basic land. <laughs> Petrified Field is showing up in 3,000 decks. Um, it has had a recent reprint in the list, so you can get it for about $2 now. And it doesn't come into play tap. Taps for a colorless or you can tap it to sacrifice it and return target land card from your graveyard to your hand. That's always been fairly useful if you are playing a deck that has multiple really powerful lands that tend to get removed whenever someone can remove them. If you have a Cabal Coffers or a Guy's Cradle or a Sarah Sanctum or multiples of those, depending on how your deck is configured. But I think what has really perhaps put Petrified Field over the top is we just got a cycle of five channeling lands oh. from Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. Um, the set's been out about 45 minutes now, and <laughs> Beseju is already showing up in 7,500 decks. Atawara is showing in 6,500 decks. Um, the black and white land are both showing up in just under 5K, and even the red land, the least popular, is showing up in about 2,000 decks. And, like, and this set's just came out. Those are all lands you can return to your hand by sacrificing Petrified Field to then rechannel them again if you want, or play them as a land if you're so inclined. I just feel like that's what put Petrified Field over the top and, and makes me want to run it in more decks. So I think if, if you are playing a, a deck 
that has one or two of those channel lands and has a Nykthos and has a Cabal Coffers and, and maybe something else, lands that people want to remove in addition to the, the lands you may want to pitch to channel, it's worth taking a look at Petrified Field and seeing if it's if it's worth removing a basic land, if you're me, and putting into your deck. That is a very tricky thing. I think I have a Petrified Field in my Titania deck, which is, is just fun to recycle a bunch of lands and make elementals for it. But I didn't even think about the fact that I can also use that on the Beseju for the channel trick to redo that effect. I got to get myself a Beseju. It would be nice if it wasn't you know, the bunches of the dollars right? Uh, yes. if it was so green that it cost a lot of green. But yeah, dang, Dana, that is a very clever trick that I did not think about. And I'm all about it, my dude. That's really, really cool. That's neat. Um, you know, speaking of green, actually, I'll go even more green with my challenge, the stats here. And Dana, I'm trying to pull a U this week. I'm trying to find a very obscure card that has a very specific niche case. And I want to know if you've heard of it. Do you know the card Fruition? <laughs> Yay. I don't yeah. think I do. Yes, I found a card he's never heard about. I'm going to do a little happy dance. I'm really happy about that. Okay, so Fruition is a bizarre card that isn't actually like amazing, but it has a, a specific niche that I, I think is kind of cool here. Fruition is a one mana green sorcery that says for each forest in play, you'll gain a life. So gain a life for each forest. That is like kind of narrow, I would say, for most decks. Not the kind of thing that you're going to be like super excited about, but it is relevant, in my opinion, for the fact that Yavamaya Cradle of Growth, the land that turns every land into a forest, including your opponent's lands into forests, that's showing up in currently like 54,000 decks. And that is certainly the type of thing that a card, a commander like Willow Dusk Essence Seer could be taking advantage of. Willow Dusk puts a butt ton of plus one counters onto one of your creatures for each life you've either gained or lost that turn, whichever amount is higher. And if you've got a Yavamaya Cradle of growth in your Willow Dusk deck, turning everything into a forest, you could potentially cast this little one mana fruition card and gain probably something like 20 life, maybe even more depending on how much people have been ramping, and then put 20 plus one counters onto one of your creatures. And that is a very small synergy that I just think is worth noting. Fruition only shows up in 100 decks, and probably rightly so for most of those, because it's a very small and very weird effect. But if you are playing Willow Dusk, and you also have a Yavamaya, I think that this could be a pretty interesting synergy to take a look at because that's a lot of plus one counters. Yeah, the the advent of green life gain matters in the last year or so um, really makes that a much stronger card, in, especially when coupled with Yavamaya, which I didn't even think of, Joey. That's a really good pick. I'm going to keep doing my happy dance, and Matt, <laughs> I will be happy dancing as you take us to your challenge, but I find a card that Dan has never heard about before, and I'm happy. Well, you, there's like eight of the eight copies of Fruition in existence because it came from Portal. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. like, th th there are more secret layer Street Fighter in existence already than there are <laughs> Fruition, so... Fair enough. Yeah, I, I get it. Fair enough. Um, anyway, so I'll move on to my challenge this week, uh, which comes from uh, the user Demir Buffalo in our Discord, which they went over to patreon.com slash Redcast and joined up, and they have access to submit challenge stats in a very specific channel, um, which is awesome. It's an amazing perk, and Demir Buffalo, I, I feel like we've talked about this person before because um, their challenges seem to be pretty pretty solid. So head over to Patreon if you want to also submit challenges along with Demir Buffalo. Um, but this week, 
Uh, Demir Buffalo shouted out the card Douthy Embrace in <laughs> Karazakar the Eye Tyrant decks. They said, I would like to challenge the 4% inclusion rate of Douthy Embrace in Karazakar decks. I feel it should be way higher. It allows you to make your commander unblockable so you can get all the goad triggers without worrying about blockers. And then the real application, though, is allowing you to goad the creature that you most want to do damage to other opponents, and then you goad it to make it unblockable. Um, so Douthy Embrace is two and a black for an enchantment that you can pay two black mana and then give target creature target creature shadow until end of turn it's not an aura it's an enchantment and you can use this on multiple creatures at any given turn or use it on karazakar for example um, which whenever you attack a player you tap a creature that player controls and you goad it and then you also have the ability to uh, make people attack other people for you don't worry about that half that's that's not what we're talking about here but <laughs> Since you can goad any given creature, and maybe you want them to connect and deal a lot of damage to your opponent, you can activate Douthy Embrace's ability, give it shadow so that it can't be blocked, or at least by creatures without shadow, but who plays shadow in, in 2022? <laughs> but yeah, so this is a fantastic challenge because just what Demir Buffalo said, you can give Karazakar or any of your creatures shadow so they can sneak in, get unblocked, and then goad those big beefy creatures that other opponents have. And then you can give those big beefy creatures shadow so they can attack your opponents and just deal however much damage you need. And if you're Dana, give that creature Tainted Strike for lethal, whatever you want to do. It's <laughs> It gets real filthy real quick. Um, but yes, 4% inclusion rate of something that you're able to use multiple times in a turn. I really like this effect. Uh, it, especially when you consider nobody plays shadow cards anymore. Uh, it hasn't really been used since, I want to say like Tempest Block, maybe a couple of uh, time shifted. But yeah, it's it, you're able to make a lot of black mana because that's what black decks do. So... Uh, churn through this. Yeah, give give lots of goaded creature shadow. This is just a great pick. Yeah, you will have to watch out for Douthy Voidwalker, which is a relatively popular card with shadow. But uh, I mean, at this point, Matt, I'm just being completely pedantic because why don't you just just goad the Douthy <laughs> Voidwalker? There you go. Well, so so that's just it. I have a Karazakar deck and I have used Douthy Voidwalker as a little unblockable pester guy to slip through unblocked and goad people free will. And Douthy Embrace is a terrific card. I know it is especially very popular in any Phage the Untouchable decks because that is a one hit kill commander. And if you can just make it super unblockable with an effect that basically no one has, you just be able to like, I, I boop and you die and it's great. And uh, you know, I'm going to have to think about this because I have a Karazakar deck and this is a really good challenge. The copy of Douthy Embrace that I currently have is in my Veardus deck because it's really fun to unblockably boop someone and they lose half of their life with Veardus. So I really like that too, but might need to get myself another copy because this is really fun, not just for your own stuff, but also politically. Um, yeah. Oh man. Shadow. Shadow's good stuff. Shadow's good stuff. Douthy Embrace. Good card. It's even, even beyond Karazakar. It's just underplayed in general. This is a great card. Yeah, yeah, that was what I was going to say, Joey. This card should just see, see more play just in general. It's just a really fantastic piece of tech. Yeah, that's a very, very terrific one. Okay, fellas, let's move now into the latter half of the show here. Let's talk about not the low variance commanders that we saw in the beginning of the show, but now let's talk about the commanders with a high degree of variance. The, you know, if one player's 99 is very unlikely to look the same as another player's 99, even if they have built the same commander. These are the commanders that we're talking about. They're, well, <laughs> I'm not going to bury lead on, on this one because there is... One very big initial observation when we try to look at this, and Dana, it's about your point there when we were talking about the number of colors that you have access to. Um, 
basically, if it's a five color commander, holy crap, they dominate this deck data completely. Progenitus, Garth One-Eye, Morophon, Ramos Dragon Engine. If they're a five color commander, they have the highest amount of variance. They only have about like 24% overlap in most cases. So five color decks can do a lot of anything. This is probably not surprising to anyone, but it is the most immediate thing we have to observe when we're talking about high variance commanders. Yeah, I mean, go figure. Have, having access to more, more cards lets you put more cards in your deck. I mean, that's that's just how it works out. And I think these commanders especially are the ones that lead to the most kind of maybe diverse build paths. You'll notice that despite there being multiple different sliver five-color commanders, for example, or dragons, none of those show up here because or that's putting you down a much more narrow build path than you would from, say, Ur-Dragon or the Sliver Overlord. Yeah, and this isn't even considering Golos because thankfully he was uh, <laughs> banned from the format. But I mean, what what we see with five color decks here is basically take a like a school bus full of kindergartners to a candy store, and of course everything's going to be everywhere because you just have all the options. So everybody's picking all the different options. Um, I, I followed that metaphor. I think. Um, it sounds like you just want to be a kid in the candy store there, Matt. Well, yeah. Is, sometimes is you wrong? want Skittles. Sometimes you want Red Vines. <laughs> um, if you're crazy, you want Twizzlers. I don't know who wants that, though. <gasps> oh, man. Matt this is a Red Vines. This is a Red Vines podcast. Whoa. Get over it. <laughs> what did Twizzlers ever do to me? I have no stake in this. In this I don't pretending know. to be offended on behalf I just, I just wanted to pick a random fight with half of the internet, so... I, I, we appreciate it. Yeah. So five colors, they are, you know, we don't want to talk about them forever, but rest assured, five color commanders are very, very heavily weighted in this list. But let's not just talk about five colors. Let's move to our top five high variance commanders outside of just those. Let's move on away from the five colors and actually talk about anything that isn't five colors and see what makes up the top five for among those. Dana, what are we seeing here when we look at the top five non five color commanders with the highest? amount of variance in the EDH format. We start off with the Gruul commander Grumgully the Generous. Um, so generous. He has a whole bunch of different cards in, in the different Grumgully decks we see. 31.4% overlap in the 99 here. And we're also seeing multiple different build paths, of course. Plus one counters. We see Goblin Tribal. We see Tokens. Um, so it's just a deck with a lot of different directions you can go. And the result of that is we're seeing some of the least amount of overlap of any of the commanders we're looking at. I, I don't I don't mean to be unprofessional here. Who even is Grumgully? Like, I'm sorry, I forgot. Is that the Gruul puts counters on non-humans? Like, yes. He's, yes. The, he's the generous one. He's the generous one. I just don't even remember this commander, but that probably speaks to how he's able to slip by and do a bunch of things. Yeah, yeah. So he puts plus one counters on non-human. That is sort of like the reverse of tribal. Like that opens you up to play play whatever, play goblins, play elves, play dragons in this. You can do whatever you want. So that actually... Just don't play humans. Just don't play humans. Yeah. So that actually feels like the inverse of the tribal stuff that we saw that was restricting the amount of variance. He's doing exactly the opposite. So, okay, I can totally see how we got here. So next up on the list, coming at number four, as far as the most amount of variance, um, with only about 31% of decks overlapping with with shared cards, we have Shalai Voice of Plenty. Uh, So that's the four mana legendary angel with flying that gives you, planeswalkers you control, and other creatures you control all have hexproof, and then you can pay four and uh, double green to put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature that you control. So, listeners, it turns out that when you have a fairly powerful effect, but it isn't tied to anything specifically, you have the hexproof, you have the plus one plus counters, 
you can actually do quite a few different things with it. We see decks, whether it's Angel Tribal, plus one, plus one counters. Uh, there's even some life gain type of decks that are coming in on Shalai's page. So there's nothing really specific that Shalai is telling you to do, just you have the hexproof abilities, the plus one, plus one counters that are kind of maybe there, but you don't have to be doing it. So yeah, it's, it's nice that there's an open-ended, but there's also just kind of a bonus ability while you're also just protecting your board state. Yeah, this is a really good commander. Heck, Matt, I'm surprised I haven't seen it more in my games that I play against you because you are so Mr. Selesnia. And this is that's just a solid piece of work. That's just a good ability to protect you and all your stuff and pump it up in the late game. Like this is this is right up your alley. Totally right up your alley. It is right up my alley. Yes, I, I've just I've never been able to find like the right home. I would say for a Shalai. Mm. I don't have a plus one plus one counter deck that is in these colors. I do it with my Ukim and Kazer deck, but I can't play white cards in there. So if I had a deck for it that it maybe fit the theme, I'd definitely be trying to find space for it. Well, I wonder if that right there is itself kind of a piece of an observation here about the commanders that are high variants. They don't have one specific home, even in the 99, not just in the command zone. So I think that you're kind of alluding to one of the things that makes these commanders so high variants is also because they are sometimes fine to hide, uh, sometimes hard to find a home for in the 99 of decks too. Yeah, that, that's a very good observation. Just sometimes you, whatever the deck is doing. It's going against what that could be doing. And, and yeah, there's just not a, a set home for it. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, moving up the list, getting more and more high variants. We see number three is Damia, Sage of Stone, which is an interesting commander to see here. The Sultai Gorgon Wizard that refills your hand size back up to seven every single upkeep of yours, which is a really cool effect. But I think one of the issues we're running into here is that it kind of like the data on Damia's page with even 1,200 decks to her name I think at best I might be able to say that it kind of like defaults to an almost good stuffy type of build. There isn't a specific direction that she points you towards, simply the ability to draw a bunch of your good cards. So there are some different strategies that we do see emerging on her page, like some players will use Landfall a bit with Damia, some players will actually even try to move into some Gorgon Tribal. There's a lot of control stuff, several different counter spells, but I think this one might be kind of a high variance by dint of being a pretty good stuff commander. And I don't don't mean that as a, a thing saying like oh it's you know good stuff is a bad thing like no this is a good good stuff commander yeah i think that's probably definitely the case there joey you know i'm talking about uh tribes that don't have a lot of members <laughs> um there's there's 19 gorgons in commander that you can play in this deck so <laughs> if you are in fact playing damia as a gorgon tribal commander your deck is going to look exactly like the one next to you because there's just no other choice. Um, so, yes, I, I'm going to guess a lot of this very much is it being played as kind of a good stuff, uh, a general, as opposed to specifically a Gorgon tribal commander. Well, and next up, it, it's not Sultai. It's it's Abzan or Abzin or however you want to pronounce it in these days. Uh, but it's one of those Commander Legends cards. So Kulfenor, the last U. Uh, so three in a black, a white, and a green uh, for a 3-7 Treefolk Shaman with Vigilance and Reach. And whenever Kulfenor, the last U, or another creature you control dies, return up to one target creature with lesser toughness from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, this one, only about 29% of decks have much overlap. So just because there's uh, toughness matters there, you can do the, the, the Treefolk, you can do defender tribal whatever but also just because there there is a death trigger there you have some sort of aristocrat type strategy built in there so when there's kind of this open-ended ability that we're just seeing with a lot of these different commanders 
nobody's going taken in like one specific direction. Everybody's kind of doing their own little thing, especially when it's you know lending itself to several different themes. The, these two, the Kolfenor and the Damia example, are really weird to me. Like I, when I see Kolfenor, uh, yeah, you're right. There is the death trigger. You can do stuff with that. But like I fully expected this to become another Treefolk tribal commander option, and that hasn't been as much. There's actually like several different directions that players are are going through. So there's like three or four different strategies on Kolfenor's page that are all kind of like fighting with each other, and therefore there's a low degree of overlap. Or the same with Damia. Like these strike me as commanders that could have had a very specific path and. At least when I first saw them, I expected them to have like one specific path to go down. But it, it's kind of nice to see the players are disagreeing about that here, if that makes any sense. Like, I'm happy to see that these commanders are so high variance because I didn't initially peg them that way when I first saw them. So good on you, Colfenor. Yeah, looking at the page, it's kind of all over the place. You have Cruel Celebrant right next to Faberl Elder. And those cards do not do the same thing at all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's just very cool to see. Very, very different strategies playing out at a very high clip because two of the most high synergy cards, 32% of of these decks are playing Willow Geist, which is <laughs> cards leaving your graveyard. It's Tree Folk. And then Viscera Seer is being played in 58%. So it's just, it, they're very, very different things going on there, but they're still being played in the same commander. Yeah, that is really strange stuff to see. And Another strange thing that I definitely did not expect, I did not expect the new high variance commander that isn't five colors to also be another commander that is from Commander Legends. So when we look at the number one commander that has the highest amount of variance, the decks are rarely ever the same. It turns out to be Amareth the Lustrous. It has a 27.4% overlap in its 99, which is the lowest of the stuff we're going to be discussing here. Amareth the Lustrous is a Bont commander or a Bant commander. I know that you were making fun of my pronunciations there when you said Obzon earlier there, Matt. I know I say Bont weird. I'm sorry, but it, it, it's weird. Anyway, getting to the actual <laughs> commander. I, I'm just glad this got so sidetracked. <laughs> go go to Bant with your aunt. That's that's where we that's where we go. I say I say aunt as well instead of it. Uh, anyway, just anyway, read the card. Read the card. Read the card. So Amoreth the Lustrous. <laughs> Amoreth the Lustrous is a six mana dragon in Bant. Uh, it has flying and it says whenever another permanent enters the battlefield under your control, you look at the top card of your library. If it shares a card type with that permanent, you may reveal that card and put it into your hand. And this is our highest variance non-five color commander here because, I mean, what is this ability trying to ask you to do? It tells you to play around permanence so you can build this as an enchantress deck you can build this as an artifacts deck you can build this as a blink deck because of all of those etb effects you can build this as a landfall deck any different type of permanent style that you want to build around the world's your oyster with this and all of those decks are going to look very very different yeah th this is one that I, I am very much surprised to see in this position um given uh, how many enchantress decks you you do see in existence and there are more than a few in band um, the fact that this particular commander that's oftentimes built as an Enchantress deck um, does see that much variance is a little bit surprising, I guess. At least it was to me until I dug down a little bit in the strategies and saw that there's just so many ways to build it. I guess that then it makes a lot more sense. I myself have always thought of Amareth as a Bant uh, commander, as a Bant Enchantress commander. But when you look at it and see, oh, the, there's a lot of Blink decks and there's a lot of Artifact decks and Landfall decks. It makes a lot more sense in that regard. It, it is a commander that is open-ended, and it's open-ended in a way that encourages people to build 
different paths that don't have a lot of overlap between those paths. So the, the Blink deck is going to look radically different than the Enchantress deck that's going to look radically different from the Artifacts version of the deck. Well, and the crazy part to me about Amarith is it just says whenever a permanent enters the battlefield, it can do this with tokens. Oh. So, so it, like, if you have a Smothering Tithe into play, if you have a bunch of artifacts on the top of your library, you just get to fill your hand pretty much every time the, the, the turns go around the table. So it's kind of silly that you're allowed to do tokens. So anything that's making tokens in mass, I, oof, 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 oof. I, I can't, I can't say words. I can just make primal sounds about that kind of busted synergy. <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. Yeah, I was surprised to see this commander, which I honestly kind of overlooked a bit when it came to Commander Legends stuff because there were so many things going on in Commander Legends, but it's an impressively versatile commander. Uh, so it's nice to see the, the list round itself out that way. And I guess now we should just kind of move into our final thoughts about the lists that we looked over where we had the commanders with the lowest amount of variance and now these commanders with the highest amount of variance. And specifically, I guess, starting off with a final thought that I know I have when it comes to this episode and talking about decks that look the same or not, it again comes back to that same disclaimer that you made at the top of the show, Dana, about how like having a low variance deck that looks very similar to another player's deck is just it's not some terrible thing. It doesn't mean you're uncreative. To me, a deck is yours because of the way that you play it, not necessarily just because of the exact composition of cards that are in it. So this is an important lesson for me to see that like even when commanders are low variance, they still, you know, it's not 100%. It's still there's plenty of room to explore and modify and find those creative options. And even when commanders are high variance, they still have at least like 24% of cards in common too. So like it's just nice to see that push and pull, that nice balance, and find where you feel the most comfort with it. And the reality is, for some of these commanders, like, say you want to play a morph deck, um, there's just so few options that there, there's just no choice but to have a deck that looks a lot like the deck next year. That's just the way it is sometimes, given the real specific build path and the lack of options for some of these commanders. Um, you, you just can't control that. And don't not play something fun just because it looks similar to another deck running the same commander. Just do what's most enjoyable for you. Yeah, there, that's the reason that all of us are playing commander. We're not playing 60-card formats where you're kind of defaulting to, okay, well, this is the, the top X percent of best things to be doing. Just play what makes you happy. That's the whole point. And I feel like we say this probably every other episode. Uh, just because you're playing a commander that has a lot of overlap with, you know, Joe's deck that you see at the shop every now and then, that doesn't make either of you wrong either. I mean, unless you're Dana with the hip, hipster points factor in, like, we get it. But also, <laughs> it, just play what play what you enjoy. Don't worry about the the right call because the the right card is going to be the one that you enjoy playing the most. Yeah, yeah. And and I guess also, uh, like, <laughs> another thing to put in there, too, is that, you know, Matt, as you mentioned, you also are enjoying the, the, the low variance uh, as, like, a design implementation from Wizards of the Coast because sometimes the high degree of variance, the cards that do look the most different, end up being the Goloses that get stuff banned. <laughs> like, because they're too good. If they're too good at everything, then that can also be a bit of an issue. Um, yeah. Oh, and 
kind of one other final thought here too is just that like I think it's important to note that there's a big difference between a commander that can be built in a bunch of different ways and a commander that is being built in a bunch of different ways. Like I think Atraxa is arguably the commander that's been looming over this entire episode when it comes to high variance because Atraxa can be super friends. It can be plus one counters. It can be infect. It has, I would dare say, way more options to do than Amareth did. Atraxa is an extraordinarily versatile commander, but over time it seems that she's kind of locked into a bit more of the familiar directions from uh, across different strategies. And that is an interesting thing to see is that there are some commanders that can be high variance that aren't and some commanders that maybe don't feel initially like they could be high variance but are and it's also interesting to note the ways that those things will shift over time and finding that balance again is just really fun but really tough on the designer and on the player level it's also worth noting that like just because a deck looks very similar to someone else's deck with the same commander doesn't mean it plays the same way in your hands um, everyone has different play styles, different different levels at which they play at. Um, so that's also something worth considering, too. Um, a similar deck might wind up feeling very different in someone else's hands. I mean, I yeah. If you asked literally any, asked me to play any of Dana's decks, it's not going to go very well for me because Dana just has such a way that he brews in the same, t- same way. Joey has said a couple times before on the show. If he picked up one of my more aggressive decks, okay, how am I going to figure out the timing? So yeah, it, there's all sorts of different factors that go into how deck how decks play out because you brew the way that you like to play or how you want to play a certain deck, and that's going to change and that's going to have a lot of variance from person to person on how aggressive they like to be, what, how many types of answers. There's just so many factors in there. It's it just because a deck has a lot or not a lot of cards overlapping with any given other commander deck. That's not a good or a bad thing. It's just that's how people like to brew, and that's just why there's so many different commanders out there. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of like those those literature courses where like the question is sort of proposed of just like, you know, if it's the same book, but different people of different spirit experiences read it, are they reading the same book or they have their own different, you know, mental associations and stuff that they're taking away from it. So like it is kind of possible to argue that you are reading different texts, even though it is just the one text. Have I gone too philosophical with this? Should I stop? <laughs> I, I think you have. I, I think we should just okay. worry about the variance between how many different ways you pronounce different words, like <laughs> plant and whatever else. Yeah, let's just let's let's fasten this down. That's fasten. I see what you did there. That was brilliant, Matt. I, I appreciate that. Just that come in full circle. Fascinating. There it is. Yeah. All right. You're right. Let's call this episode to a close. But listeners, we would definitely love to know what you think about all of the data that we've discussed in this episode. What commanders do you have that you think are high or low variants? It's really interesting to dig into. But fellas, if our listeners would like to get in touch with us directly, let us know where they can find you. Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming over at twitch.tv slash EDHRECcast. We have guests on every single week, and it's such a fun time to play some paper magic in all these trying times. And so, yeah, just make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings um, for always a, a super fun time. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me on my other podcast, CMDR Central. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDH
And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecCast on Facebook and on Twitter. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRecCast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase, a.k.a. Manicurves, for helping with the post-production on the podcast. And, of course, we have to thank our sponsors, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. Plus, you can visit Altersleeves.com slash EDHRecCast for cool, custom EDHREC sleeves. Listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights, but until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs> <laughs>